Hey everybody, good morning and uh, welcome. Welcome those of you over in East Hall, those of you tuning in. Glad you have joined us. I always love the beginning of a new year because for me it, it seems like a, like a blank canvas. It's just waiting for an artist to begin to draw. I think every single one of us has this blank canvas ahead of us, 365 days, and every day we will be making a mark with our lives somewhere on the canvas. At the end of this year, after 365 days, this canvas will be completely taken up, and we will take it off and put a new one up that's blank called 2020, right? And of course, the question is, what kind of marks are you going to make this year? What kind of marks are we going to make as a church in 2019? January is always a time where we cast a vision for the year, give, you, give us a theme for that will carry us through the year. And a theme is really the answer to the how question for our purpose. We exist as a church to help people come to know Jesus, help you grow in your relationship with Jesus, and then learn to serve Jesus daily. That's our purpose. But sometimes a purpose can be so broad, so general, that it's hard to know where to start. So a, a theme is the how. How are we going to do that this year? It's almost like if you have decided that in 2019 you want to be healthier. In 2019, it's very broad, and it's so broad that you might not know where to start. You might not do anything. But if you say, you know what, 2019, I'm going to exercise more. That's the answer to the how. How are you going to become healthier in 2019? Well, you're going to exercise. Well, it doesn't mean that you're not going to try to eat well. It doesn't mean that you're not going to try to get the right amount of rest. But you know something that you will do no matter what. That's why we have a theme. We believe that there's a rhythm to life, like breathing, where you inhale and you exhale. You breathe in and you breathe out. We feel like there's a rhythm to the church, like breathing. We inhale, we exhale. One year we will try to go deeper, and we will inhale. We will try to drive the gospel deeper in our lives so that we end up loving Jesus more. On another year we will exhale. We will be thinking about how we can make the greatest impact on the people around us and on our world. Right? You cannot inhale without exhaling, though, and you cannot exhale without inhaling. So if we are having a year where we're trying to go deep and you are successful in loving Jesus more, then chances are you'll be having a, a greater impact on the people around you. And if you're focusing on make, making an impact on people around you for Christ's sake, then chances are you will be learning to love Jesus more. Does that make sense? All right, 2018, last year was a year of breathing in. We decided to try to go deeper. We called it Transformed in 2018. And the idea was to drive the gospel so deep that we would actually change. We would be different by December than we were in January. And it was a fantastic year. I loved last year. This year, in 2019, it's going to be a breathing out year, going wide, trying to make an impact on the people in the world around us and we are calling the theme for 2019 here at Christ Community Chapel, Make Jesus Famous. And I have looked forward to this uh, ever since we decided on this theme about six months ago. I loved last year. I loved everything about last year. But I can't wait to see what God is going to do through us this year as we attempt to make Jesus famous. Yeah, I want to spend the rest 
of our time this morning, answering three questions. What does it mean to make Jesus famous? Why are we going to make Jesus famous? And then how's it going to happen? What does it mean? Why are we going to do it? How does it happen? First, what does it mean to make Jesus famous? What does it mean to make anyone famous? How does anyone get famous nowadays? That's kind of hard nowadays because there, there are some people who are very famous. We have no idea how they got so famous. Like Kim Kardashian, very famous person. Nobody knows why or how she got so famous. But listen to this. Kim Kardashian has 123 million followers on Instagram. 123 million people wait to find out what Kim Kardashian is doing each day. Right? I'm not one of them. I, I don't follow Kim Kardashian. I just did the research. I promise. All right. <laughs> LeBron James is also very famous. His fame is a little bit easier to understand. He's an amazing athlete, happens to be very good at the game of basketball. But even when I say that, if you can take a step back from our culture, because our, our culture is so used to people becoming very famous for playing a game, it seems like it makes sense. But if you take a step back, it's kind of like, really? How did you get so famous playing a game? I, I remember uh, seeing a, a documentary on David Beckham. David Beckham is a soccer player. Uh, maybe more famous globally than LeBron James because soccer is more popular around the world. And David Beckham is also uh, famous for marrying one of the Spice Girls. Um, I know it seems like I know way too much. Again, research. <laughs> right? But David Beckham's documentary was called David Beckham Into the Unknown because he, his goal was to find a place where no one knew who he was or what he did. You know, that's what really famous people long for. So he, was, he ended up deep in the Amazon jungle, and uh, he ended up talking to a village chief because the village chief had no idea who he was or what even the game of soccer was. And so it was kind of comical because you have you know, this whole you know, video crew there, and uh, they're talking to this village chief, and David Beckham's trying to explain through a translator what, how soccer works. And he was saying, you know, it's, it's a game played with a ball. you got to kick it with your feet. You can't use your hands. It's a big thing. And I was really good at kicking it into the net. And this, you see this, the face of this village chief. He's like, he, he had this kind of bemused look on his face like, I think you're putting me on. <laughs> I don't see how that could, it's possible. And then he asked this, but what do you do for your people? But what do you do for your people? All right, I have a puzzle for you. And here's the puzzle. Um, in 2018, one of the recipients of the Nobel Peace Prize was this man, uh, Dennis McQuaigie. Uh, Dr. McQuaigie is a surgeon. He's also a pastor. He's from the Democratic Republic of Congo. The Congo has been at war for 20 years. And sadly, one of the weapons of war has always been rape. And so the women of the Congo have been victimized for 20 years. And uh, Dr. McQuaigie set up a clinic to surgically repair these women who have been victimized. And since 1999, 85,000 women have gone through his clinic. 85,000 women. And Dennis McQuaigie became famous in the Congo. And he's even 
more famous now, arguably the most famous person in the Congo since the Nobel Peace Prize. And here's the puzzle. How is his fame different than David Beckham's fame? How is his fame different than LeBron James' fame? It's not just that he's a surgeon and uh, they play a game. It's more than that. I want to suggest that like LeBron James' fame comes at a distance for most of us. Like uh, even though he's a kid from Akron, very few of us have ever met him or had coffee with him or been to his house, right? We have watched him from a distance, from a seat in an arena or on television on a screen. But Dr. McQuaggy's fame is different. But you think it's up close and personal. It was life-changing because he would take someone who was broken and make them whole. 85,000 women, every single woman with a story, a story that she would tell over and over and over again, saying, this was how I was broken, and now I've been made whole. And somebody would ask the question, how did that happen? Who is it that healed you? And over and over again, they would say, his name was McQuaggy. His name was McQuaggy. His name was McQuaggy. And one person to another person to another person until Dr. Dennis McQuaggy became so famous that it made its way all the way to the committee to choose the Nobel Peace Prize. And now Dr. McQuaggy's even more famous. And he's more famous right now than he was 15 minutes ago because now you know who he is and what he has done. That's what it means to make someone famous. Now, the second question is, why Jesus? Why do we want to make him famous? There's something wrong with our world. That's not rocket science. You don't have to be a gifted researcher to figure that out. You don't even have to pay attention to the news. All you have to do is pay attention to your own life. We're six days into the new year. Is there anybody that has had six perfect days? And when I say a perfect day, not just perfect for you, but perfect for everyone you know and love, right? Six days into the new year, and we all know of different things that have gone wrong in people's lives, and it just seems like more and more we recognize that something is wrong with our world, and we long for it not to be. Uh, Garrison Keillor was a radio personality, and uh, he had a, a show called The Prairie Home Companion that I used to listen to. And he, uh, he talked about this make-believe place called Lake Wobegon, and he would tell stories about Lake Wobegon. But he always ended every kind of episode the same way with this tag. He would say, and that's the news from Lake Wobegon, where all the women are strong, and all the men are good-looking, and all the children are above average. And I used to love that just because that, it seems like that's the kind of place I want to be. I want to be a, at a place where all the women are strong and all the men are good-looking and all the children are above average, where life is the way it's supposed to be. But instead, it feels like life is more like a car with a bad tank of gasoline where we are lurching and stalling, and it seems like we're always right on the verge of breaking down completely. And it is into that broken world that Jesus Christ came. And when he came, he immediately began to do three things. He began to heal people. He began to tell people why they're broken in the first place. And then he told them that he could and he would. 
heal the deepest brokenness inside their souls, inside of your soul and inside of my soul. When I say that he came healing people, what I mean is you pick up any of the Gospels, you begin to read, you immediately see Jesus right smack dab in the middle of the most broken people. And he didn't have to be there. Right? And I, when I say that, I don't mean that he didn't have to you know, come from heaven and be here. I mean, he could have avoided the deepest, brokenest, most broken people, just like you avoid them, just like I avoid them. I mean, not many of us spend much time on the oncology unit in the hospital or at hospice care, not unless we know someone, love someone, or we're in the healing business. And Jesus Christ came into our world saying, I know you. I love you. I have come for you because I can heal you. In the Gospel of Mark, Mark starts his Gospel, and in chapter 1, by the 40th verse, he tells this story. And a leper came to Jesus, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. Leprosy was a terrible disease. It impacted every aspect of someone's life. It impacted you physically, emotionally, socially, and spiritually. This man, 40 verses into the gospel, somehow this man saw Jesus and thought, maybe I think he's the one who can actually heal everything about me, everything that's wrong with me. And he goes to Jesus and he says, if you are willing, you can make me clean, can't you? This man had not been touched by a human being since his diagnosis, most likely. And Jesus reaches out and touches him. And I don't know how he touched him, but in my mind's eye, I always see Jesus kind of cupping his face in his hands and looking him in the eyes and say, saying, I am willing, be clean. And immediately he was clean. And Mark, without skipping a beat, the very next story in chapter 2 is this. And when Jesus returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them, and they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, So they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. So Jesus is teaching in this home, and these friends bring this paralytic, and they can't find a way into the home, so they break through the roof, and they lower him down, which is a whole different story all in itself. 
And Jesus sees the brokenness, this, this man in this broken body, but he sees a deeper brokenness still in his soul, and he decides to go after that deeper brokenness. And he, he heals that with a single sentence because he says, Son, your sins are forgiven you. If you have ever been forgiven after you've done something wrong, and the person that you've wronged looks at you and says, I forgive you, and you have felt that relief, you have felt the purity of that goodness and grace, that means you have just a taste of what flooded into this young man when Jesus said, Son, your sins are forgiven you. But the people around thought, oh, you can't do that. And Jesus said, really? Which is harder to do, to heal the deep brokenness inside of his soul or to heal the brokenness in his body? But so you will know that I have the authority to heal the deepest brokenness inside of his soul. Watch what I do with his body. And he says, rise, take up your bed and walk. And the man immediately picked up his bed and walked. And then without skipping a beat, Mark says this in the very next verse. Jesus went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him. And he was teaching them, and as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? That's the big question. Because these guys are saying, okay, okay, listen, we may, I may understand the leper. Maybe it wasn't his fault that he contracted leprosy. Maybe that wasn't his fault at all. Maybe it wasn't the fault of the paralytic that he's paralyzed. But Levi, he made his own bed. He should sleep in it. He chose to use, he chose to cheat. You shouldn't do anything. Why are you trying to save him? And this is what Jesus says in response. And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And Jesus is saying, don't you get it? Don't you get it? This whole world is broken. You're broken. Everyone's broken. And I've come to heal all the brokenness. Anytime somebody will let me heal them, I will heal them. Any way they need to be healed, I can do it. Why make Jesus famous? What made Dr. McQuaggy famous? He saw people that needed to be healed. He knew how to heal them. And he gave his life so that they might be healed. And 85,000 women who were healed told anyone and everyone they knew, and the number became 850,000 who heard the stories of those who were healed, and then that quickly moved to 8 million people, and then all the way to the committee that chose the Nobel Prize, and all the way here into the sanctuary today. And what happened when Jesus began to heal? Mark chapter 1, verse 28 says this, and at once... His fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. His fame spread. So the question is, why do we want to make Jesus famous? Because Jesus is the one who reached into the deep brokenness of our souls, of your soul and mine. He is the one who said, I have come for you. I know you. I love you. I know how to heal you. And I will give my life so that you can be made whole. 
so that you can be forgiven, so all that you have lost can be restored. That's why we want to make him famous. So what does it mean to make someone famous? Well, it's something that goes from one person to another person to another person until all the world knows. Why do we want to make Jesus famous? Because he has healed the deepest brokenness inside of us. Now, how is it going to happen? The degree to which you buy in this year to making Jesus famous, the degree in which you get involved will depend not just on what you think about Jesus, it will also depend on what you think about yourself. And this is what I mean. Uh, my father had a massive stroke nine years ago. <clears throat> uh, my mom and dad, they live in an in-law suite with my wife and I. And uh, my mom yelled up the stairs uh, early in the morning on a Sunday morning. And uh, I went running down the stairs, and I found my dad in the bathroom, and I held him. And when I was holding him, I realized that he could not speak, he could not hear, he could not see. And we called 911, we rushed him to the hospital. And the first word we got at the hospital was, your dad will never recover. And so I called my uh, brother who lives in Chicago, and I uh, told him what had happened, and I told him he could leave and come down, but he probably wouldn't get here in time before my dad was gone. And we cried together. I hung up, and a neurosurgeon came in, and he said, uh, I think I can save your dad. And he explained to me that my dad's stroke, his hemorrhage, had happened on the outside of his brain and not on the inside of his brain, and the pressure is what was killing him, and he could drill a hole and relieve the pressure. He thought my dad might be able to recover. And so I said to the neurosurgeon, if you can save my dad, save my dad. And he did. And my dad had a complete recovery. But I'm the one who held my dad in my arms when he couldn't see and he couldn't hear and he couldn't speak. And I knew he had no hope of recovery on his own. He needed someone who knew what to do to save him, someone who was willing to save him, somebody who would save him. What do you think about yourself spiritually? If you think you're a pretty good person, then you can take or leave Jesus. Then there's no reason for you to make him famous or tell your story to anybody. But if you see yourself like my dad, where you are hopeless, where you know deep down there is nothing you could ever do to save yourself, you needed somebody who knew how to save you, somebody who would be willing to save you, somebody who would actually save you, and that was Jesus, then you know then you feel what it must have felt like for the leper when Jesus cupped his face in his hands and said, I'm willing you can be clean. Then you know what it feels like to be the paralytic and hear Jesus say to you, son, your sins are forgiven you. Then you know what, it's, what it must have felt like for Levi to have Jesus say to him, follow me, follow me. And if you know that, if that's the way you feel about Jesus, then making him famous will be a joy. It'll be something that you can't wait to figure out how to do, where you can't wait to tell your story because there's nothing more natural than telling your story to someone else. So how are we going to do it this year? We're going to be doing it, everything from tiny things to a huge thing, from micro to macro and everything in between. And this is what I mean. Every time you talk to your children or your grandchildren about Jesus, you are making Jesus famous to them. 
Every time you bow your head and thank Jesus for the food you're about to eat, whether you're at home or at a restaurant, you are making Jesus a little more famous to those who see you and who are around you. There may be a little bit bigger things. If you have never invited somebody to church, this is going to be your year. If you have never told somebody what Jesus has done for you, this is going to be your year. Every time you do something this year where the answer to the why question is because of Jesus, you are making him famous. If you go to a coworker who's going through a divorce and you sit with them and talk with them and offer to pray for them or tell them that you're going to be praying for them and you do it because of Jesus, you are making Jesus famous. If you sit with a, with a new kid at school just because they have no one else to sit with them and you do it because of Jesus, you are making Jesus famous famous. When you hold a baby in the nursery here, you are making Jesus famous. When you greet somebody at the door, when you volunteer at a ministry, at one of our ministry partners, if you volunteer to be part of the International Friendship Connection, and if you're doing it and the answer is because of Jesus, you are making him famous. And then we're going to do something huge. And this is the huge thing. Ten years ago, we decided to start campuses and the reason was because we figured out that you can get more fruit from an orchard than you can from a single tree, no matter how big that tree is. And so we thought we can get more people to know about Jesus with more campuses than we can with a single campus, no matter how big the single campus gets. And so we started campuses. In three weeks, I'm going to unveil for you our plan for the next 10 years to make an impact in this region. We're calling it simply Orchard NEO, Orchard Northeast Ohio. And I could hardly be more excited. This is a breathing out year. It's a year where everyone has a canvas. You're going to be making marks every day from now until December 31st when this year ends. What we're saying is that this year, more than any other year, going to focus on making Jesus known so that all the world will know who he is and what he has done. We're going to do it one person at a time, one person to one person to one person until everyone knows. I think 2019 will be the best year ever. And the more you focus on making Jesus famous, the more you will grow deeper in your love for him. And that's the plan. Because this year we're going to be breathing. We're going to be inhaling. We're going to be exhaling. Exhaling and inhaling. So that Jesus might be known. All right? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for sending him for us. For not giving us up on us in our brokenness, but for sending Jesus who would know us, come for us, love us, and give himself to heal us of the deepest brokenness in our souls and reuniting us to you. I pray that this will be a year where we make him known with everyone that we come in contact with, that somehow you will give us more and more opportunities that all the world may know who he is and what he has done. Thanks for giving us such a wonderful Savior. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.